know, I don't like to uh, keep people waiting, and I understand that Faye is ready to talk. So, Don, punch that button, and let's say good morning, Faye. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. And, and you don't know how good it is to hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> and the same to you. And well, I was, uh, had some of the ads going for a little while just on the app, and uh uh, boy, our lives have changed <laughs> rapidly. You know, <laughs> it it really has. And, of course, uh, I will admit to you, just as I admitted to Don and to, to one of our engineers, I was a little nervous starting out this morning because I'm I'm sitting here with uh, with no local backup, so to speak, using a piece of, uh, you know, I used to broadcast shows when, uh, golly, I did a show one time from, uh, you know, the high mountains of Wyoming. I've done them from lots of different places. But dealing with a new piece of equipment here and uh thank goodness i had a real good instructor yesterday showing me how to use it and and knock on wood everything got off to a good start this morning and now that well, i know we can connect with uh people like you then uh, i'm just looking forward to the next three and a half hours of talking gardening well i'm i'm going to be a listener so <laughs> i'm so glad you're <laughs> well, here so glad well you're here. what can i help you with this morning well uh partner tells me i need to review uh spring vegetables a little bit with you um i've got some tomatoes in uh planted and they're just doing great i did not get the cornmeal on uh can i do it now and it's still oh of course beneficial. of course yes it's what we do the cornmeal for you know it's not as much for root rot problems being an organic garden gardener we rarely see the verticillium the fusarium the old diseases we used to see what we're most concerned about is this disease uh that we call early blight which happens when water rain whatever hits the soil and splashes the fungal spores back up onto the lower leaves of the tomato and that's why we're just sprinkling the cornmeal around on the surface of the soil is so it can grow the trichoderma which can in turn control the uh, fungus we call early blight so it's never too late to do it but the sooner the better so to speak and uh, again just a handful or two just scattered on the soil around just do it do it when you can and you'll just be adding a, a little bit i guess we might call it crop insurance and do you put it on several times during the season you know that's a good question um i kind of watch the weather and we know that fungal problems are much more prevalent when we have cloudy rainy lack of sunshine lack of dry breeze that's the kind of time that fungi really seem to abound so if we move into that kind of weather pattern yes i probably will put it out i mean what two handfuls of cornfield probably cornmeal is probably a nickel's worth of cornmeal um so it's not a big deal but uh if we stay bright and dry one time's probably going to carry you through the whole season okay Good. And I, and then, I don't uh, do weather, as I always say. I, I'm not that crazy. I'll, I'll tell you anything you want to talk about, plants, but only, as my grandfather used to say, only fools and foreigners try to forecast the weather in Texas. <laughs> that, that's still very appropriate. We're, we're cool over here this morning. Um, I was going to ask you also, we like at eggplant. Anything uh, uh-huh. about eggplant that uh, they especially like? Well, you know, eggplant is a wonderful crop, and if you maintain even moisture in the soil, you will have no problem with any kind of eggplant you want to grow. If things occasionally get a little too dry, the eggplant can get bitter, 
And, of course, you're probably a good enough cook, which I am not, to know that there are things you can do to reduce the bitterness. But for my garden, I principally plant the long Japanese eggplant. I like especially the variety called Ichiban. I see H-I-B-A-N, I believe is how it's spelled. But I have never had, knock on wood, a bitter Ichiban. That is, they seem to be just, the Japanese eggplant seems to be immune to the bitterness problem. So, uh, I guess that's one thing I would tell you. The other is that uh, don't be in a big rush to plant them. Eggplant really doesn't do a whole lot. I know my tomatoes have probably grown a foot in the week they've been in the ground, but uh, the eggplant's not really going to grow until we're in consistently very warm weather. So um, it may be, you know, if it's a week or two or three before you get your eggplant in, don't worry about that at all. But uh um, it sure is delicious, and there are sure a lot of good things to do with it in the kitchen. So be sure and plant plenty. And it will do. Thank, thank you for uh, that because uh, uh, those are available right now, and I'll try to get uh, some of the better uh, ideas, and we'll try them, do a little experimenting. And and I don't know, you know, how many young folks in your family you mentor and things like that, but if you have the room... It would be interesting to, if you can find, to grow the original eggplant because kids today and adults, too, they have no idea why we would call that big old purple fruit an eggplant. But the original eggplant that were grown, look, they were about the size and certainly the color of a hen egg. And, uh, oh, there are all sorts. There's another, there's a variety out there now called Easter egg. And, uh, the little fruits are white and pink and a, you know, greenish color. But, uh, there's some, and they all taste good. It's just obviously you can't make a meal out of one of those little ones. But, uh, very few people out there have ever seen the original eggplant that looked like a chicken egg. And so they don't understand where the name came from. But I don't know. I just always think it's fun to grow something like that just to show people. Oh, yes. Um, what about from seed? Is it too late to start seeds? You know, eggplant are not really bothered or affected, I should say, by the heat. It's not like a big-fruited tomato. If you asked me if it was too late to start seed for big-fruited tomatoes, I'd say you're getting pretty close because by the time a tomato plant gets up to the size to start producing, our night temperatures are probably going to be pretty warm. But eggplant, the temperature does not seem to influence fruit set, so... uh um, the only disadvantage of planting from seed is going to take you about an extra four weeks before you start picking eggplants. So probably the best option would be if you have access, plant a few plants, start your own seed, and have that many more plants to plant a little later because I know you have a fairly good-sized garden area. Well, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and it's nice to have something that you could start a bit later from seed. Absolutely. Um, unlike, unlike some of the other things that got to go in. You're well, right. Thank you, Bob. And um, I'll enjoy listening to you uh, as much as possible the rest of the morning hey. and tomorrow. <laughs> I will appreciate that as well. And you get out and have a good weekend and uh, keep practicing your social distancing as we're all supposed to do. And uh, we'll get through this and uh, look forward to uh, uh, to life on the other side <laughs> when, yeah. whenever we get all this dealt with, Faye. But uh, we gardeners know we're going to have plenty to do. It's one comment I made to somebody. I said, you know, if I did have to self-quarantine, I'd probably get caught up in my gardening for the first time in 20 years. But I'm not sure even then that I'd be able to do it. <laughs> 
Well, that's always a good challenge. So thank you. Thanks so much for your program. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, looking at an open board, uh, you know, the phone lines get a little jammed up as we get later into the show, so uh, you don't even have to get out of bed, you lucky people. Just roll over and punch the number or dial the 210-599-5555, and uh, I will look forward to visiting with you. Uh, there are there are lots of fun things going on, and I guess, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take just a second and tell you just a couple of things that I I see in my world, and that is just... How nice it is, you know, crises, if we want to call this a crisis, and I guess, I guess it certainly is, but it sure brings out the best and brings out the creativity in a lot of people. Looking at friends, uh, like my friend Keith Coon that has Valeria Restaurant, the mostly organic restaurant up in Bernie. And of course, they're shut down like every other restaurant in Texas. Well, Keith has put together a gourmet five course meal for a family of five for barely a hundred dollars. And, uh, uh, you know, that he, he will have delivered or can be picked up. Uh, my friend, uh, Steve over at Hungry Horse is fixing casseroles like mad. Matter of fact, I'm going to pick up two of them from him this evening, but, uh, people are being creative when they, uh, you know, when, when they can't open their doors and have people seating inside in the restaurant business. We at Shades of Green, we, uh, uh, of course, we're cleaning very regularly. We are open for business and, like I say, plan to stay that way. But anybody's nervous about making contact, you can call us and give us a credit card number, place your order, and uh, we have a couple of reserved parking places out front. You drive up, we'll go out. The guys will load it in the trunk of your car, and you will be on your way. So, uh, anyway, lots of lots of just opportunity out there and uh and and it's just the, i guess you might say the cream rises to the top when we come to tough times and uh people have to do a few other things to get through looks like we're going to talk to next to john d and then to clint punch up line number one there don let's talk to john d good morning hey hey bob uh, i would like to revisit uh the trick of grandma yes sir Right. Uh, I have pecans that uh, had lots of uh, the webworms last year. Okay. And, uh, I've looked online uh, on Amazon, and yes, you can buy a little card uh, on Amazon. Uh, how do I know that those are viable eggs? Well, what uh, you know, what you can always do is put that strip in a uh, glass jar. Uh, punch a hole, a tiny hole in the top or leave the jar lid a little bit loose so that you're getting oxygen to them and just watch for a few days. And when, you know, when you start seeing the little wasps are certainly visible, um, they're, they're very small, but you could wait if you wanted to until, uh, you know, until you started seeing the little wasp and then you could go hang your strips out. Or you could get, you know, more than one strip if you've got a bunch of trees. Just put one of them in the jar, hang your other strips out, and um, uh, that that's the easiest way to see. Once you've hung them out, you can take a magnifying glass and go out and look and see, and you'll see what you're buying. When you buy that little strip, is you're actually buying a piece of paper that is covered with moth eggs, and those little eggs have all been... The, the wasps have laid an egg inside, and there's a little developing wasp larva inside of one of every one of those little bumps on that card. And that card probably has several thousand uh, inoculated, so to speak, uh, moth eggs on it. And as they hatch out, if you look at the magnifying glass, you can actually see a little hole in the bottom of each one where that little wasp larvae came out of it. 
But um, if you just want to be sure, you can always, like I say, put one of those strips in uh, in a jar just at room temperature somewhere. And usually within three to five days, you'll see the little wasps start to appear. At that point, you do need to get it out quickly because once one hatches, you're going to have a lot of them hatch in fairly short order. Does that make sense? It does. When uh, when should I put those out? You know, of course, the pecans have not started leafing out yet. Right. Well, we put out trichogramma for three different purposes. Uh, the first is to control a lot of those little caterpillars we call gall worms and leaf rollers and things like that that show up mainly affecting the oaks early in the season. And we're putting out the trichogramma right now to control those. Uh, then we deal with the nut case bearers, which uh, usually they start showing up sometime early April. Um, so early to mid-April, so within the next couple of weeks, we'll be putting out the uh, trichogramma to handle the case bearers. Now, the webworms, uh, tent caterpillars, whatever you want to call them, they are typically not really showing up until June or so, so you probably would want to make a release early to mid-May. The idea is to make that release a couple of weeks before the time you expect the problem to appear because these little wasps can actually go through a couple of generations in that time period. So for every one wasp you release, it's going to go out and lay, say, two, 300 eggs, and it, um, then every one of those two or 300 is going to go lay two or 300 more. So a month down the road when we start worrying about the webworm showing up, we've got however much that figures out to, 20,000 times as many little wasps going out. So long answer to a short question, but if your primary concern is webworms, I would be looking at early to mid-May as the time you want to put the, the, the trichogramma out. That may change with the weather, so, you know, I'll try to keep you posted, but uh, you're you're a little early now to be, be putting them out yeah. for the uh, webworms. That's good news for, for a procrastinator. <laughs> yeah, just just don't put it off too long. But uh, they're in good supply. I don't see any problem with uh, with uh, plenty of trichogramma to uh, to go around this spring. So wh- where where do you where do you purchase them locally? Um, you can call your different nurseries. We sure keep them here at Shades of Green. Okay. I would suspect that Fanix keeps some. I don't know about Rainbow Gardens. We're probably sort of the big three of independent nurseries, and uh, um, I know we, you know, I just, we literally sell millions and millions and millions of trigger grandma wasp every year because, like, say, everyone on those little cards has five thousand or so eggs on it. So uh, okay. uh, anyway, they're they're certainly out there and available. Thanks. Thanks again. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure, John. I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right, uh, let's get Clint in here before the news break. Uh, Don, uh, good morning, Clint. Good morning. I guess I'll make it quick. Uh, you kind of talked me into last week about making my own compost tea. Yes, sir. But, uh, I'm going to use it on my hay field, but a little worried about uh, renting or borrowing one of those freight tank uh, sprayers because the folks out in the area love their um, love their chemicals. So will that rent out okay? Or Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, uh, uh, if you, you know, most of the sprayers these days have a plastic tank and the plastic tanks wash clean without any problem. The old metal tanks, now some of the different things actually bonded to the metal. If you had an old metal Hudson sprayer or something like that, yeah, I wouldn't be using that for, uh, 
uh, compost tea, but um, uh, the sprayers that you're going to go rinse, you know, I would probably give them just a little rinse with hydrogen peroxide or something like that, but uh, should not be any problem with contamination in there. Okay, and uh, back with the trichogramma wasp, what are we trying to control right now? Uh, the uh, pecan, uh, the uh, nut case bearers were just a little early on. It's definitely time, though, for the leaf-rolling caterpillars, the little gall worms. You know, you've been around long enough to remember years when the little caterpillars just basically ate all the leaves off the oaks as they started leafing out. Uh, that's the little guy we're trying to control. And the problem with trichogramma, if there is a problem, is that they kill, they destroy, I should say, the eggs of the caterpillars before they hatch. Once they hatch trichogramma can't do anything so it's just a guessing game are those caterpillars going to be a problem this year and uh it's uh a lot of us think it's worthwhile just to spend a very few bucks and hang them out anyway but we're we're trying to control those little leafy caterpillars at this point okay and what time of year should we put them out for the black army worms um you would put them out about three weeks before those normally appear i'm not sure really when they start showing up in Divine, but try to try to anticipate about three weeks before that, and that's the time you'll hang your little cards out. Good deal. All right, well, I appreciate it. Ah, uh, let's get back to the phone lines, and John is up next. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Um, hey, um, I got a couple questions, but a quick comment on your uh, uh, what you just said about social distancing and all that. Yeah, I agree. Yes, sir. Taking, uh, taking those precautions is. Uh, it's quite important, but uh, equally important not to set your hair on fire, run around in a circle, and freak out. <laughs> that's why we're still open, and uh, and you know it's uh, that that's like you know don't go out on the road, you might have an accident. No, you're going to use due exactly. care and caution. You're going to take care of yourself and hope that everybody else does their part to take care of themselves. And uh, you know, I I just I, I could not agree with you more. I. Uh, it, it kind of seems surreal. I, I just, I, I can't believe, uh, what we just heard on the news about, uh, what was it, Illinois and somewhere else yeah. that they're just telling everybody to stay home. Um, there are a few consequences to that that don't work out too well. So everybody be smart. It's a friend of mine, uh, and I won't use the exact language in it, but he sent me a, a wonderful little quote, and I have no idea who it was from, but it said, uh, our parents and grandparents were called to go off to fight world wars. We are called to wash our hands and sit on the couch. Let's don't mess this one up. <laughs> Spot on. Yes, sir. Well, how can I help you today? Um, I have a couple questions about avocado trees. Um, okay. I live a few miles south of I-10 out in Seguin, um, Okay. and I want to grow avocados. Uh-huh. Um, so kind of a two-part question. One, what would be a good variety? Um, and then two, um, do I need to have more than a, a single avocado tree that question comes from my mother-in-law who lives down in Winter Garden. Sure. Had a single avocado tree for 20-some-odd years, and it never produced a single fruit. Right. And it is certainly better if you uh, have more than one tree. I'm very surprised she didn't get any fruit off of it. But uh, you'll, you'll always do better with cross-pollination. And as far as varieties, our, our big 
the big thing that has held us back from growing more avocados has always been that they would freeze. The trees would freeze and die in the winter. And mm-hmm. now we've got a bunch of what they just lump together as Mexican avocado varieties. There's Joey, there's Layla. There are a bunch of different ones out there. And some of them, some of them are kind of funny looking. Some of them have black and yellow skin. Some of them have, uh, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of an odd shape. I don't think any of them are quite as big as the big old Calavos and Haas and the ones we're used to getting in the grocery store. But you close your eyes and you could not tell the difference in the taste at all. So, um, uh, you know, that it, you can kind of choose your varieties. It doesn't really matter, but I, I would stay with the so-called uh, Mexican avocados. Now, the thing about them is, while, you know, the big thing it always says in giant letters is that they are cold hardy, it would be much more honest to say they are cold hardy once mature, because about the first year or two, you better protect them if we have some really chilly weather mm-hmm. in the winter months. And the big indication is when they move beyond having that real slick green bark to having more of a rough woody bark, at that point, they're going to be cold resistant down probably close to 20 degrees which is probably going to take care of uh uh you know any weather that we're likely to have here okay very good well i appreciate uh appreciate your advice you let me know when the guacamole is ready you bet John, I appreciate the call. Get out and uh, uh, keep thinking positive the way you're doing and uh, share that optimism. I I think that, you know, of course it was long before either of us were born, but I always always remember the quote, and I believe it was from Roosevelt, not Churchill in this case, but from Roosevelt, who said, uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I think that's what's driving a lot of this stupidity at the grocery stores and things. But uh, let's let's let you and me get out and set an example for other people. All right, sir. Um, we'll move right along here. And uh, next up is Robin. Uh, good morning, Robin. Hi, Bob. Hi there. I was wondering, um, do you have any ideas about how to make iris bloom? Some years I have 150 blooms, and some years I have 20. <laughs> well, the important things, and now are we talking the so-called German iris? Yes. Uh, the big old the flag big iris? Bearded ones, yeah. Yeah. Number one, they need lots and lots of sunlight. And if they are in partial shade and we have lots and lots of sunny weather, they will probably still bloom. If they're in partial shade already and we have lots of cloudy days, the blooming will be disappointing. So the number one thing is to have them, you know, out where they get absolutely full, hot, blazing sun. Some years we will get a freeze that damages the buds before they can develop. And so we just don't, you know, we just don't have very much to begin with because of a late freeze. And of course, if you're going to divide and move, uh, the flag iris or German iris, uh, you always want to do that opposite the season of bloom. So, uh, don't be, don't be digging and moving around to the spring. That will very definitely hamper their blooming. Do any digging and moving you need to do September, October, November or so. But, uh, Given those three things and, of course, adequate fertilizer, you should get a pretty good crop of blooms every year. Okay. And when I compost my yard, can I compost 
the iris too? No, absolutely not. Uh, iris are, or at least the rhizomatous iris, as we call these, as opposed to Dutch iris or Japanese iris. Um, they want to, uh, you know, they want to have that uh, that rhizome right at the top of the soil and exposed. You definitely do not want to put compost over those guys. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate Let- it. Let me tell you one more thing about those wonderful iris is okay. if you if you decide to add to your collection, there are a bunch of varieties out there now that they call reblooming. The old-fashioned ones, we got those beautiful flowers in the spring, and then we waited 11 months before we got to see flowers again. Some of these new rebloomers can bloom three or four or more times through the growing season. And, uh, you know, like you, I love the iris and I love the fragrance of some of them too. And, uh, you know, you, you get them, uh, you get these rebloomers and you'll be enjoying them pretty much all the time. Oh, great. I have to try them. Very Thank good. You again. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Robin. Come on. All right. Uh, bye. Um, Don tells me there's one line open, so grab it if you'd like. We're going to talk to uh, Jason and David and James. Uh, let's go ahead and get Jason in here. Uh, good morning, Jason. Oh, Jason J- Jason has uh, uh, did not hang on. I guess we already got his, uh, got his question answered. Uh, do we have David up there? Let's say good morning to David. David, you there? Yeah, morning, Bob. Morning, hey, sir. Uh, yeah, I understand that the uh, almost all uh, climate scientists uh, agree that planting trees is probably the smartest thing that humans could do right about now. <laughs> I, so, I would agree with that. So uh, this uh, this is springtime. What should people be doing? Well, you know, I I always recommend that you grow trees that are well adapted uh, to your area and of course, you know, siding correctly and planting them correctly. Obviously, uh, uh one of the nice things too is uh, CPS Energy uh has this program that is still in place and it will go on a little bit further. Uh, is uh, where they will give you a $50 rebate per tree. I think it's up to seven trees uh, if you plant. The idea, of course, is to have trees shading your home during the hot part of the year. So there are a couple of restrictions on exactly where you plant them. But, you know, get a get a good list of trees. I don't recommend uh, right now, I'm not recommending live oaks or the Spanish oak or red oak because we have so much oak wilt in the area. But, boy, any of the white oaks like the bur oak or the chinkapin oak or the lacy's oak or uh, the list goes on and on there. Cedar elms are a wonderful tree. Mexican sycamore, if you want a tree that grows very, very quickly, of course, pecans are a state tree, but in all honesty, most pecans are too big for the average lot these days. But if you've got a big lot or you're out in the country, a pecan is certainly a tree that you can consider. But um, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Uh, I want a little sunny space in my yard for a few things, but, boy, shade is just uh, to be treasured. And um, trees, of course, do their part uh, with both with carbon dioxide reduction, with a cooling effect on you don't get as much radiant heat to the surface of the earth. So uh, um, plant your trees. Is the, the more the merrier, the sooner the better. Most trees that come from the nurseries these days, from the wholesale growers, are buried too deeply in the container. So, uh, 
you know, my suggestions on planting are, first of all, you know, determine where the root flare is and have that at or even slightly above the ground level. I recommend digging an angular hole or a square hole. If you dig a round hole, the roots just want to go round and round and round in a circle, whereas if you have an angular hole, when the roots hits a corner, it takes off into the surrounding soil, and that's what you're looking for for it to get well established. I recommend that you don't overdo improving the soil in the hole where you plant the tree. If you want to add a little bit of compost, a little organic fertilizer, that's fine. But for the most part, we use the soil that came out of the hole because, once again, we want the tree to be encouraged to grow roots as widely as possible. Always put some fertilizer on top of the ground. Always put some good mulch over the root zone, not up against the trunk. Uh, those are the important things for proper planting. But, uh, you know, there's there's just never a bad day to plant a tree. And right now is uh, probably the second best season. If I had to pick the very best time for planting trees, it would be October, November. But uh, we're still a ways away from hot weather, so it's still a great time to set those shade trees out. Hey, good list. Thanks, Bob. Hey, it's my oh, pleasure. You podcast? Have you got a podcast? Um, they do podcast. I don't get involved with that. That uh, happens over at the studio. And quite frank, frankly, we have very few people working in the studio, so I'm not sure how up-to-date the podcast would be. To go to KTSA.com, though, and you'll find, should find a bunch of podcasts there. But uh, uh, it may take them a little bit longer. I'll ask my engineer when I get a chance uh you know how we're doing on podcasting, but we're we're making well, maybe our. I can get the NSA to give me a copy. <laughs> Good luck on that. Good luck uh, on that. Hey, uh, who who has? I don't have the time to sit down and listen to podcast. I wish I did. Well, that was a good list. I mean, all I said was what what do you got in mind? So, man, you 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 did a, a right long. Hey, well, thanks. You know, it's it's funny. I used to, my business partner and her husband used to tease me all the time. When I would go out of town back in the days when he had somebody fill in for us, my old friend Alton Grimm would uh, would fill in for me, and, and my, my friends would tease me saying, you know, somebody asks you a question, and you say blah, 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 blah. They ask Alton the same question, and he says yes. So there you have it. <laughs> anyway, you get out and have a great weekend. All right, back to gardening on a nice Saturday morning out there. And uh, oh gosh, let's just let's just go right on back to the phone lines. Uh, it's gonna be James and Pedro and Janie. And James, good morning. What are you doing this morning? Morning, Bob. How much rain you get? Ah, uh, point two five, a quarter of an inch, and I was certainly glad to see it. Uh, two and a half inches? No, no, 0. 0.25, one of one inch. We got just a little bit over two out here. Oh, man. You, you guys, you guys in Marion are just living right, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure we are. Um, man, it was, it's about time we started getting some rain. I, I put out some, uh, some cover crops. Some Sudan and some uh, cowpeas, and uh, I'm really excited about uh, seeing if they're going to come up. Well, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, this little this little glitch of chilly weather this morning may cool that soil back down a little bit, but uh, 
two inches of rain. There are a lot of us that uh, sure love to see that in our rain gauges, but I'm sure it'll come. They're giving us a fairly strong chance this evening, and then it looks like we're going to go back to springtime weather. So uh, it'll be what it will be. For those guys out there that are transplanting uh, squash and different plants this time of the year, uh, for the last four or five years, these spring storms have brought, you know, big winds and hail. Right. And uh, then the, the north wind starts blowing. We're covering the transplants with a, a row cover, but what we're using is uh, a product called a hoop loop that comes from Johnny Seed. Uh-huh. You put the hoops in and uh, every you know, eight or ten feet, but they have a little loop on the top that you uh, you just twist your tw- tie your string on. I mean, you don't even tie it; you just loop it. And oh, then that's you interesting. Those, yeah, you you run your your binders twine all the way down each side, and you uh, makes a real secure hmm. uh, frame for your uh, for your row cover. They're called hoop loops, and if you really want to do a good job on the, especially the squash, which have the delicate leaves. Sure. Uh, it's it's worth looking into. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's no, it's you know this. Uh, to me, you know, frost of course is damaging to those things, but cold wind, oh. you can you can sure set almost any transplant back with when we do get that cold wind blowing either out of the north or out of the south. And uh, if you if people are like you and me and they want to get things started really early so that we'll. Uh, be picking that good crop sooner than anybody else. You better be prepared to protect from the north wind, even if it doesn't get to freezing. Usually, these you know these north winds they'll blow for two days, and oh yeah, a crop like squash or you know even even uh, early cantaloupes or cucumbers, it just tears them to shreds. So yeah, uh, what we're doing is we're putting the hoop loops on and getting them all tied down and uh, covered with a row cover. And the only big deal is uh, we buy uh, sandbags by the hundred and then have to load those. <laughs> but that's that's not too hard. Go out to the rock pile and yeah, that's that's just good exercise. Do you have your your uh, peppers planted? What do you think about as far as timing on pe- planting uh, peppers, both sweet peppers and hot peppers? Because I grow them in a root maker product, I can. Mm-hmm. I can keep them in pots for as long as I please. The only thing that that is uh, that is hard on me is maybe I have to water them two or three times a day. So sure. I'm going to wait. Uh, I'm going to wait till we start getting into April because you know this, especially with chili peppers and sweet peppers. I'm 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 waiting another two weeks to the end of the month. In fact, I called my root maker guy the other day and asked him about that. He says, yeah, you can hold them for as long as you please. It's the only issue is just water. Sure, uh, sure. I don't well, think you ought to get them in, you know, this early. I, I'm just I'm just waiting on the, yeah. on the chilies. Well, and I, that's what I, that's what I do on the peppers and on the eggplant too. I'm in no rush to get my eggplant in the ground either one, but, uh, that time will come pretty soon. The microclimate underneath the row cover is really, uh, perfect for growing, uh, squash, 
and uh, just about anything besides I don't think it's it's the best for peppers. Sure. But but that uh that microclimate inside that row cover is really accelerates the growth, especially your cantaloupes, cucumbers and squash. Well, and of course we'll be pulling it off long before it's time before we start having the blooms and start worrying about pollination. But uh yeah, keeping that keeping that wind off sure makes for a makes for a better start on the little plants. Well, James, you get out and uh, enjoy your time in the garden, and uh, we'll look forward to visiting again. Thanks, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, let's see here. Let's take one more call before we uh, do a break. Let's talk to Pedro. Good morning, Pedro. Hi, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for calling. I appreciate that. <laughs> What's well, going on today? Well, I'd like to impede upon your time for a little bit that doesn't have to deal with the beautiful hill country. I, I just found out that I'm going to be moving to the Phoenix area in June. Oh, really? Okay. I'd really, I'd really like to hit the ground running as far as planting some edible plants, vegetables, fruits, and, and lots of herbs. And I was wondering if I could ask you what is good or at least ask you if you have any resources that I could use to find out what is good for me to plant right then. And uh, you're going to be moving to Phoenix, and what what is your move date? In June, the end of June. In June, yeah. You know, you're you're moving into the hot, hot time of year out there, but um, provided that you know you can give them the water, you're still going to do you're going to do well with peppers. You're going to be do well uh, with uh, with squash, with uh, green beans. You probably ought to ask. You know, the good nurserymen out there about varieties because, uh, there, there's some of them do well at a little bit cooler temperatures. Others don't mind the heat at all. I know even here in Texas, my favorite early season green bean is one called Tavera, but it's just not going to do when summer's heat moves in. And that's when I switch over to top crop or contender or one of those. So I, I would, I would ask the locals out there about specific varieties. I that time of year I don't think you'll be wanting to plant large fruited tomatoes, but you could probably do just fine with cherry tomatoes. They should produce all summer for you. And uh, you know, there's there are a lot of commercial crops uh, grown around Arizona and the Phoenix area. They they get really hot in the summertime, but you've got decent soil out there. If you can just add the water, you're going to be able to grow squash and cucumbers and beans and. Uh, uh, eggplant should do pretty well for you. Fall tomatoes should do extremely well for you. And, um, you know, they, they have a long, cool growing season too. They don't get to freezing that often. So, you know, by the time fall arrives, you're going to be able to plant your broccoli and cauliflower and all the things that you're used to here. But, um, and the main things I would focus on getting out there in June are probably things like, uh, Beans and uh, black-eyed peas, uh, cucumber, squash, that sort of thing. But ask them about your most heat-tolerant varieties. All right, will do, Bob. Thanks so much. I, I'll miss your show when I move. Well, I hope you'll continue to follow us on the Internet, and I would look forward to hearing from you. And, uh, you know, we have Anna shares her uh, her gardening experiences from in the Midwest, who was a longtime caller here. And it's just fun visiting with people whose uh, professions or lives just take them other places. And I'll be the first to tell you, outside of Texas, I don't know a heck of a lot about how things grow. So I hope you'll uh, take the time to share with us when you can. 
All right, we're back to gardening on a nice chilly Saturday morning out there. But just a little reminder that it is not uh, it's not a hundred percent spring like weather. Yes, I know spring arrived, but uh, this this morning uh, we're we're backing up to a little bit cooler. But boy, a couple of days we're going to be back to those seventy degree days, and everything's going to be just perfect. Um, lots of fun this morning uh, broadcasting uh, from Shades of Green this morning. Actually, uh, the radio station out of uh, being very very cautious about things because uh, KTSA does have to stay on the air and we're just not broadcasting many of the shows from over there so thanks to uh, the ability to have a great engineer back at the station I'm actually broadcasting from Shades of Green this morning and probably will be for the foreseeable future until we get beyond this uh, uh, this uh, COVID um, crisis I guess I, I hate to use the word crisis but uh uh, it, it is for some people. It is in some areas. Hopefully in Texas, it'll just remain an inconvenience for us. But anyway, having fun broadcasting this morning with two cats and two dogs at my feet. And, uh, I, I can't really invite you to, uh, uh, to walk into the office, but if you come over actually tomorrow while we're on the air, cause I'll be off the air about the time we open, but you can at least come wave through the window. But right now, let's, uh, let's get back to the phone lines. We've got a Janie and AJ and Gilbert and Ron and Janie is up first. Good morning, Janie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Okay, I've got a question for you. All okay. right, you said you got an orchid tree in front of your business, right? Well, it's in our over in our side parking lot, but we have one of what is called the Hong Kong orchid tree. There are three different kinds of orchid trees, but uh, our Hong Kong orchid tree has hundreds of flowers on it right now. Well, that's what I was calling to tell you. I have never, ever had a plant that had, I mean, it's about 10 feet tall, 4 feet wide. It's more like a bush. Uh-huh. And it's got flowers to galore. I've never <laughs> seen anything like that. And it smells so beautiful. Oh, they're, they're beautiful. They, unfortunately, every now and then we get a winter cold enough to set them back, but, uh, ours has frozen back two or three times in the 12 years or so we've had it in the parking lot out there, but it always comes back strong. I, I'm glad that you were enjoying yours as much as we are ours. And that's, that's one of the big difference in the Hong Kong orchid tree is that it continues to bloom uh, as long as the weather's conducive, continues to bloom all summer. The, uh, old, uh, what do they call it? Pata de Vaca, the, uh, just standard purple. Right. Yeah. The, that purple one, that only blooms for a couple of weeks in the spring, but this, uh, Hong Kong just keeps on blooming pretty much all summer long. So oh, it's really? an extended, oh yes ma'am, it's an extended, extended pleasure. Well, now this one started in, uh, middle of February, and uh-huh. right now it just, all, my husband says it's all the way to the top of the bush. It's up. It's just fortunate. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. I can't. I tell it people just, about it. You just. It makes you smile just to look at it. Yes, but what I can't understand: Does it like to be watered a lot, or does? I I don't know if I have been watering it or not. Well, it's it wants to be watered thoroughly when it's watered, but that doesn't have to be too often. You know, this time of year, probably if you're watering it every two or three weeks on an established tree, 
that's enough. Just what I always tell people is there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So water it very, very thoroughly when you water it. Then when that soil at the base of the trunk is dry an inch or two deep, then it's time to water it again. But, uh, uh, it's, it's the thoroughness of the watering that's important. And then it can go for quite a while between waterings. Okay. I've got an orchid plant. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it doesn't have any more flowers. But it keeps uh, blooming leaves. So uh-huh. Can I keep it outside now? Uh, not quite yet. The Phalaenopsis don't really like getting below 60 degrees, and it's down in the 40s this morning. But uh, we're very close to the time of year that you can move it outside for sure. Keep it in the shade when you move it outside, but uh, I'm going to wait at least a week before you put it outside because we're supposed to have two or three mornings in the 40s, and that's just too cold for the Phalaenopsis. Okay, then I've got a plant, that Christmas plant. I can't think of the name of it, the one that turns red. Right, they call it a Christmas cactus, properly called a zygopetalum. No, it's not the cactus, it's the other oh, one. Oh, the poinsettias? Yeah. Or the amaryllis? Yeah, poinsettia, okay. Do they like full sun? Yes, ma'am. They like full sun, and the most important thing is uh, if you're going to plant them outside, plant them. don't plant them near a porch light or anything like that because if they get light at night, uh, it in, inhibits their uh, turning color in the fall. They have to have short days for those. Uh, they're not really flowers, but the bracts, the colorful parts. They have to have short days, so don't plant it where there's going to be a light shining on it at night, but... Uh, other than that, no, they, they like as much sun as you can give them. Okay. Well, I appreciate all your help. But I just had to call you about that orchid tree. Oh, my I'm God. I'm so glad you're enjoying it, Janie. It's just so much fun to have something so beautiful close to you. Yes. Thank you very much, okay? Thank you, and you have a wonderful weekend. All right. Let's get right back to the phone lines. And AJ is up next. Uh AJ, are there any situations in your world this morning we need to talk about? Oh, oh yeah, that, that's why the phone rang over there, Bobby. It's, it's very serious this morning. Okay. <laughs> hey, Bob, our daughter is getting ready, thinking about putting in some raised bed gardens for okra. Uh, I looked at some here in Victoria at, the, at a church down close to where we are, and they're using... Uh, 2x12s for that. Is that sufficient depth for okra? If it's 2x12s on top of native soil, I think that's just fine, H.A. H.A. If it's 2x12s on top of concrete, no, I would I would want to go at least 18 to 24 inches. But, you know, okra is a very resilient plant, and it it will do fairly well in fairly poor soils so uh if she's uh you know if she's just putting it over um the not so good native soil yeah 12 inches is enough but um if this was going to be on a patio or something like that i'd want to go a little deeper okay what variety of okra would you re- uh recommend for a, that that type of situation you know <sighs> What you want to stay away from are the ones that just get too huge. Uh, The old standard is uh, Clemson Spineless, 
which is a it's kind of a medium-sized okra it's going to grow four or five feet tall and it's a real heavy producer and it's been around for gosh more years than i have um i also like one they call uh velvet i believe it's just called velvet green pot or something like that it's a very smooth a little bit more slender uh just a solid nice green okra and I love, they all taste the same, but I, I love mixing in a little bit of red okra. Uh, what is variety? I probably plant Red River, I think, is a variety that I plant. The only one that I would stay away from is these giant okra. And there's still a lot of seeds around. Oh, Malcolm Beck, um, he gave people all over Texas, he gave uh, seeds of what he called Beck's Big Okra. And that stuff will grow 10 or 12 feet tall, and that would be too big. But um, any of the any of the more compact ones, uh, I'd probably always start with the Clemson Spineless, just because it's so dependable. But beyond that, the Velvet Green Pod and some of the red okras are uh, she she will do extremely well with okra. It's probably I'm just trying to be sure I'm not speaking incorrectly. It's probably I think the easiest summertime crop a gardener could grow over in Victoria or in the hill country, either one. Okra's just you'll have to pick it every day. Because an okra goes, and it doesn't ripen, as you well know. It gets bigger, but it also gets very tough and stringy. So you want to go through and pretty much pick your okra every day. But, man, there are a lot of good things you can do with it in the kitchen. Okay. Uh, when, when, when is the time to plant that okra around? Uh, in, the, in May, or is that too late? No, it should be fine for you. You could probably go middle April uh, because you're a little closer to the coast. You're a little bit warmer. In the hill country, I look at, you know, May 1st as being around the time I'm probably going to plant okra. And we have to adjust it, you know, with seasonal things with the weather. But um, when it starts being uncomfortably warm, that's time to plant your okra. Okay. Now, in that raised bed, how close can you put that first row to the to that 2 by 12 Mm, th- three inches, four inches. Three to four inches. Yeah. And then, and then the, uh, uh, then at twelve inch centers uh, for the rest of the row, or you can put them closer. You can put them closer, but I think twelve inches is a good spacing. I tend to go through when I open that little furrow up. I put my seeds about six inches apart, and then when they're up and growing, I'll go through and pull out about every other one. I'll just pull out the weaker plants and leave the stronger ones. But you know, a healthy okra plant that stem is going to be bigger around than your thumb, and uh, it's going to be a pretty massive plant. So you you want them spread out a foot apart. Okay, alrighty. That that's that's situation number one. Now, this next one on copper plants. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is it? Uh, can you plant those in pots? Put them in the ground when they become available, and then in the wintertime take them out and take the pot and all out, or is it just an annual plant? In a, in Victoria, it's going to be a perennial plant a lot of years. It will grow until it freezes. Where my little sister lives down in Mexico, you know, they're as high as the eaves of the roofs because it very seldom freezes in Saltillo. But um, what I would do, rather than digging up the plants to save them, they root so easily from cuttings, AJ, I would just uh, go out in the late summer and take some cuttings, grow my cuttings through the winter, and have those for my uh, plants next spring. Damn, why didn't you think about that? That's pretty good. 
You know, I just copied my grandfather, and it has always worked out very well. And I'll tell you the fun thing about today, rather than uh, back when I was working with my grandfather in his florist business, is there are a bunch of new copper plant varieties out there. There are some really unusual and different ones, and it's just... You know, it, it's just one of the toughest, hardiest plants a person can plant. There's just very, very little goes wrong with copper plants, and uh, there's no such thing as too much sun for a copper plant. The sunnier it is, the more colorful the plant becomes. Okay. I'm, just, I'm just used to the one that's usually brown in the, in the early summer, then it, it turns color in the in the. Uh, that's uh, familiar with yeah there there's some uh some new ones out there now that have really colorful leaves there's some that have some green and white in the leaves there's some that actually have sort of a curly leaf so uh you've got lots of choices to uh to see in the in the world of copper plants nowadays okay you were talking to that lady about that hong kong orchid uh, evidently, that's something you can plant out in the in the garden and, and leave it there all year long. That it'll, if it freezes back, it'll come back the next spring. That has been our experience. I still don't recommend it for the hill country. I think it could freeze and die up there. But in Victoria, you should do very well with it over there. The problem is just in finding them. Every year we. Uh, we order like a hundred of them and they send us like ten of them. There's only one company in the country that produces them, which is, uh, Monrovia Nursery Company out in Oregon and, or in California rather, and they just never make enough of them. So, and I don't know why they don't, but, uh, it's, it, they're, they're hard to locate, but boy, they're sure nice when you do find them. Alrighty. Well, that's my, the end of my situation is Bobby and you have a nice day and, and, and take it easy. We'll talk to you I will look forward to it, AJ. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Looks like uh, next up is Gilbert. It's going to be Gilbert and Ron and Jane and Mike. So good morning, Gilbert. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I'm doing well. It's, uh, I will admit to being a little nervous starting out since I'm sitting here all by my lonesome without an engineer to uh, back me up. But uh, got a great guy back at the studio, and so far the equipment's working really well, so I'm having fun. Great. <laughs> I have uh, My question is uh, I have a, like an 18-year-old fig tree. Okay. I, I, believe it's, I believe it's a brown turkey. Yeah, that was a very popular one back at that planting time. Yeah, uh, right now the, the leaves are just starting to come out. Uh-huh. And uh, like I said, I've had it for about 18 years, and every year the beautiful, big, brown turkey figs that I get from it. I, I mean, I just have to give them away because there's so many. Yes, sir. And, and so and so big, and, and, and of course, uh, really sweet. Uh-huh. Anyway, the, uh, the, the past three years, I've had problems with, with little tiny black bugs. Yeah, that, yeah. They just invade the, the even uh, they attack the figs even before they ripen. Right, and they they go in that little end is called the blossom end of the fig, and what you're looking at is uh, they're called a fruit weevil, and unfortunately, you know they they can be a real problem with brown turkey and a lot of the older varieties. The newer varieties like Celeste and Alma and those. Those varieties produce a little drop of rosin that sort of seals up that little opening on the end, and um, and and you don't have that problem with brown turkey. 
that's always going to be a bit of an issue. I would suggest putting out some beneficial nematodes at this time of the year just to take care of any larvae that may be in the soil. And if you start seeing the little weevils around, one thing that is safe to spray on the tree, there's something out there called spinosad soap, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D, spinosad soap, and it is harmless to people and pets. You still want to wash your figs very well, but uh, that's that's the one negative, and I've got a brown turkey fig that's probably more like 80 years old than uh, 18 years old, but uh, that's always going to be a little bit of an issue. It's worse some years than others, but uh, uh, I would either try the spinosad soap or I would perhaps use one of the garlic sprays, but the first thing I would do is treat the area around the base of the tree with some beneficial nematodes because I think that's going to go a long way toward reducing the problem you have with those weevils. All right, I tried everything. I, I, at first, I, I thought they were like fruit flies. Fruit flies. They're related. They're related, but they're they are a different weevil. And like I say, the problem is that that brown turkey is what we call an open ended fig, as opposed to a closed end fig, and they just get right down to that little opening on the base of the fruit. But um, um, it, you you can try garlic. I know the spinosad spray will work. But uh, you will have to repeat it a few times to get them under control. But uh, uh, yeah, it's a fruit weevil, and unfortunately, brown turkey's one of the one of the figs that it does get after. Alrighty then, I'll try that this year. You, you report back to me on how it works for you. I will. Thank you. You're welcome, Gilbert. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. All right, Ron is up next. Good morning, Ron. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Good morning, uh, sir. I have two unrelated questions. Um, the first one I know you've answered before, but I don't remember exactly your answer. <laughs> well, that keeps concerns, me in business. <laughs> it, it concerns asparagus. Uh, sort of like the okra, I, I don't live out at the ranch where I have my garden, so sometimes the asparagus gets so mature it's you know it's no longer edible. But right. I noticed, uh, and I've had this patch for at least 15 years, and I take good care of it. I, I mulch it. I fertilize it but mm-hmm. i know that some some of the asparagus is real tiny spindly and then others look like the kind you would oh ron i'm afraid your i'm afraid your phone cut out on you there um you're welcome to call us back but um what you're seeing is just some of the plants the the more established a plant gets the bigger it will be also uh, with asparagus, there are female plants and male plants. The female plants tend to produce a little bit heavier uh, stalk, but um, they're all delicious. They all chase, taste the same, but uh, do everything you can to maintain the health. Regular fertilizing, regular watering, especially year-round. Okay, Ron's back. <laughs> okay, hello again, yeah. Ron. Glad to get you back. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was on my cell phone and the call got dropped somehow. I just I'm holding it in my palm of my hand, so I didn't touch anything. It, uh, it doesn't matter with the okay. cell phone; they'll <laughs> they'll do that. Okay, so yeah, you've got sure. some little small, very small shoots, and some that are much bigger and thicker. Oh yeah, some are just beautiful, big, thick. You know, good half inch thick, and then the others are maybe a, a eighth of an inch thick. It 
partly is is because the in asparagus you can have male plants and female plants. Most everything that is sold are the female plants, which tend to have the bigger, thicker stems. But occasionally you'll get a male plant in there, or occasionally you have one grown up from seed. And sometimes it's just a matter of uh, a younger, less mature plant uh, will produce a thinner stem. But um, Again, they're both delicious. I don't think it's anything, as long as you're watering and fertilizing, I don't think it has much to do with your care. And uh, the majority of the ones you get should be the bigger, thicker stems. But be sure if you plant more, be sure you plant a variety like Mary Washington. And most places sell exclusively the female plants, which will give you the majority of them will be be the bigger, thicker ones. Okay. I I remember now that was, I think that was your answer. Now, here's a question I bet you've never been asked, but I don't know who else to ask. And it concerns cutting uh, mountain cedar or or ash juniper to use as a post. Um, And I've used them for borders on a rock patio. This is out at the ranch. Again, it's a hunting cabin. Uh And I've cut cedar posts for the garden. And and sometimes we know cedar normally will last uh, last decades without rotting. But occasionally I'll get one, and within... I don't know, five or six, eight years, it rots, even uh-huh. rots. And, and so do you know why some, some cedar posts would rot and why others would not? It has to do with the way the wood develops. Um, as you've cut the cedar, I'm sure you've noticed that uh, in many cedars, the central core of the post will be sort of a dark reddish color, where the right. outer years of growth may be a much lighter color. When we have cedar that has grown with a great deal of moisture, it tends to make a softer wood. Uh, the I know my home is 110 years old, and it sits on, you know, big old probably 12-inch thick cedar pilings down underneath it. And it's my understanding that the uh, the Germans who you know settled most of the land up in the hill country, they always knew to choose. Uh, the most mature trees, and I don't know how to tell by looking at them, but I'm sure they could look at a tree and tell which ones have been grown more or less stressed, and those are always the ones. But if you, you, you look, and, and what I, and, and the way that I've come to this conclusion, and I, but I, and I think it's true, is that I will also have times when I pull up a, a cedar post that maybe has been in the ground a hundred years, and the outer two inches of the post have rotted away, but that central core, which was the dark color, you know, that lasts forever, it seems like. But um, uh, so it has to do, I think, with just uh, a lot has to do with the moisture that the tree, you know, got while it was growing. And probably I think you're going to find that the posts that are on the lousier soil are going to be the harder, more durable post, where a cedar that's growing in uh, more alluvial soil is going to grow a lot faster but it's not going to have nearly the lasting quality. But when you're out there cutting post, if you will look at that and if you will choose the post where you have the majority of the center core of that post is that darker reddish wood, in my experience, those are the ones that are going to outlive us as far as being fence posts in the ground. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And and I thought of all the people I could think of, you would know the answer because I've actually asked ranchers before, and they didn't know the answer. I thought, well, maybe it's the time of year, you know, when the saps, as they say, when the saps risen no, or when it has. I, I, well, don't quote me on this as being absolute <laughs> fact, but uh, 
you know, that's that's a fun thing. I mean, my, my training, my college training is as a research biologist, so I've been exposed to a lot of the physiological processes of how it works when plant grow, plants grow, and then through observation it has led me to that, that, that conclusion that that's what the difference is. I could be totally wrong, but I don't think so. Well, I, that makes sense. That, that makes sense. Well, I, that'll help me a lot because I have some that I want to replace uh-huh. And I thought, oh, I, I'm I'm getting old, but I'd, I'd like to only replace them one more time. <laughs> well, yeah, and and if they last you another hundred years or so, you should be in pretty good shape. But uh, let me know how that works out. But that's what I've always done, and I've had very good success at it. Okay, thank you so much, Bob. It's always a pleasure, Ron. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. If you're just joining us, uh. We are doing things a little differently now because uh, we simply cannot afford to have uh, a problem outbreak, uh, you know, of the COVID-19 over at the radio station. So pretty much all of us that uh, have the pleasure of doing talk on KTSA are are on the road, so to speak. And I'm actually broadcasting from Shades of Green this morning. Dr. Kirby and I will be broadcasting over here, I guess, for the foreseeable future. But we got a great crew backing us up uh, with the engineering back at the station. So as <laughs> long as this equipment works, we're just doing the usual things that we have so much fun doing. Um, we have canceled our seminars um, uh, just out of a need to be cautious, uh, you know, you may or may not like the term, but this social distancing is so, so important. And uh, here at the nursery, we are open. We will remain open as long as we legally can. But just know that, I mean, we do everything from wiping down to the pins that you try to sign your credit card receipts with to the fact we are happy if you're not comfortable coming in. A lot of people come in just because they say it makes them feel good, and they just go wander around and uh, plenty of distance between people. But if you are uncomfortable uh, in being any kind of a social situation, uh, give us a call. We'll take your order, and you just pull up. Somebody will come out and load it in the trunk of your car for you, and just doing everything we possibly can to adapt to this, because we know how important gardening is in people's lives. And I was just talking off the air with my engineer, Don uh, Cooper-Stevens, about how much fun it has been seeing people coming in that are getting their kids involved in gardening, that are realizing that really gardening is just one of the healthiest activities that you can engage in any time and it's a shame that some folks are kind of being forced into coming to that conclusion but it's also uh, nice to be able to help folks uh, live a life as close to normal as possible and maybe even develop some better habits but hey we'll quit talking about me and we'll start talking more about you looks like we're going to talk to jane and mike and gilbert and susan and jane is up first good morning jane hey bob I hey. have some experience with those juniper posts myself, and that yes, heartwood is exactly what lasts the longest. You look for the inside to have the biggest amount of that heartwood, and you be in the best shape for your post. Well, I'm glad to have my theory confirmed by somebody who knows. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Thank you. Now, my next question. I got me some of those potato plants coming up gangbusters. And I've been wondering about trying that idea of putting the soil over top of them, making what I think I, I've heard called potato towers. Well, they I just what maybe try that. What you think? They they call that banking uh, the soil around your potatoes. Jane, I have tried it, and I I've grown with and without. And for me, I've never seen a very big difference. Now I will tell you 
that any time I have a potato developing close to the surface of the ground to the point I can see it, I will put some soil over it because if sunlight hits that tomato, it will start turning green and that potato will not be nearly as edible. But I've never seen that it really increased production. I always encourage experimenting. And what you might do is take half of your row and bank the soil up around it and leave the other half without and see what works best in your garden. I just have never seen that it produced any better tomato, any bigger potato, or any any greater number of potatoes out there. But uh, I know a lot of people do it. So... Um, I don't know whether it's just good exercise or whether some people get a lot more from it. But uh, I grow good potatoes, and I grow lots of potatoes. And like I say, the main thing I'm going to do is keep them covered enough they don't start turning green. But as far as building a tower around them, um, maybe I just don't have time to do that. But the times I've tried it, I've not seen a lot of difference. Okay. Well, if I was going to try it on one or two, do you just how do you know where to when to put the soil over? I got all these nice green leaves up there now, so how do I know how much to do and when? Well, I would never bury more than half the plant. When your tomato plants are two inches tall or four inches tall, if you want to bank the soil up a couple of inches, you can. When your potatoes are a foot tall, if you want to bank the soil four to six inches uh, tall around the base of the plant, you can do that. Um, you know, the, the potatoes actually form on the roots close to the base of the plant, and uh, I guess you'll you'll probably have more potatoes form at or above the surface, but uh, I don't think there's any given you should do this or you shouldn't do that. I would never cover more than half the stem with soil, but beyond that, I just use the garden soil and uh, just literally by hand just kind of, of build it up against the plants. But I have done that in the past couple of years, and I really haven't seen any difference in the quality or quantity of my tomato or potatoes. Well, I think by telling me where those potatoes form, you answered the question. If they form in at the roots, why would you even make the extra effort to bank <laughs> over top? So I got um, it. All right. Well, you, you try it on a couple of plants and you report back. That's your homework for today. All right. I will. All right. My next question is, I got my snow peas up, and they are up, I would say, maybe 18 inches or so, lots of nice green, but I don't have any blooms yet. Should they typically be fertilized at all, or what can I do to encourage them? Well, you just have to give them time because they have this little built-in clock that tells them how old they are, and they have to reach that certain degree of maturity, and they will literally go from no blooms. I've got maybe a 20, 25-foot row of snow peas, and I literally went in uh, the time of about three days, I went from having zero flowers to having probably 100 flowers on 40 or 50 plants. So... They're, they're just not quite mature enough to bloom. As far as fertilizing, yes, uh, I do fertilize. Now, peas and other legumes have these little nodules associated with the roots filled with bacteria, which kind of manufacture fertilizer. But our Texas soils are so lousy, I want to give them a little bit of help. And so I, I go ahead and fertilize them like I do everything else. But, uh, um, man, my snow peas, you would not believe how many I'm picking every day off of them. But, I mean, it, it just went from having zero to having a huge number of them. So you just hang in there with them. They'll probably mature in the next week or ten days, and then you're going to have more 
more peace and you know what to do with. Awesome. There is hope out there again in our gardens. Okay, I... Okay. This was one that you mentioned, I think, once before, but I did not get it written down. The trees. The trees take up most of their water close to the trunk and then most of their food further out. Do I have that right? I would say that is correct. Yes. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to give somebody else some terms because I got what I mostly needed, and if I don't get it, I will call your your shades of green and get them to help me like they always do because that's the best place I ever been to buy something. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very kind, Jane. I thank you and we'll look forward to helping you always. Thank you so much. Okay, Don, let's uh let's go ahead and bring up Mike. Uh good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mom. Good morning, sir. How's it going? Oh, it's uh rocking along very well. Feel very blessed. Uh Ah, to be broadcasting from a beautiful place and looking forward. It's going to be a chilly day today, but it's going to be a good day. No kidding. It's kind of chilly outside. Love yeah. Your, love your show. Listen to you. Uh, Thank you. I have you. a question that's not too much with gardening, but I know you know this question. And, uh, okay. But I, I, I got chickens, and now that I uh, have land and everything, we gotten chickens and everything, and we have cats and we have a dog. And uh, my problem is, is that... Uh, <sighs> What what can I put out for the the like say fleas and things like that having chickens? I know the nematodes. Somebody told me about I was going to put nematodes, and they said not to put that down. And so I was just wondering what's a good thing to put down for uh, fleas I, and chickens. I think nematodes are the best thing you can put down. Now this is probably the deal. I don't know why anybody would tell you don't do it, but you know you get. You get beneficial nematodes two ways. You get them, the ones that we like are on a little blue sponge. You soak that sponge in water, and then you spray the water around. Some other folks put out a dry form, which I've never had as much success with. And I can see why people probably would say don't put that out because the chickens will just eat it because it's uh, uh, little nematodes are supposedly in a dormant state in some sort of meal. Um, and maybe that would not be good to put out around the chickens, but there is absolutely nothing wrong with putting out the live, living, beneficial nematodes uh, because you're just, you know, you're you're putting them in a sprayer and spraying them on the ground, and they're going to immediately make their way, as long as the soil is moist, they immediately make their way down into the soil, and they are totally harmless to the chicken. So that is still my number one line of defense against fleas. Now, if you have areas that are stay dry then you could always use diatomaceous earth and this will take care of uh, more than just flea issues de will take care of ants and all other hard-shelled insects but uh my i i have no problem using the live beneficial nematodes around chickens but i get the ones that come on that little blue sponge they are produced by a company in colorado called hydra gardens they're up in colorado springs and uh any good nursery would be able to get them for you Okay, that's what I, that's what I was thinking too. The person that told me, I mean, pretty much didn't know, and yeah. uh, that's what I was thinking. The nematodes, and just spray it like I used to. And I've never had chickens. This is the first year that we had chickens and everything. And, you know, we got so we got so much eggs that I didn't know they were going to produce that much eggs, and and we're having to give them away, you know. And it's I mean, dozens and dozens of eggs. And oh, isn't you know, it we fun? We have like nine, ten chickens. You know, the kids yep. love them and everything. And just trying to get the the 
I have a, uh, just trying to keep him safe as far as, you know, letting him run loose, but trying to get him back in the cage. I have a, a ringtail cat that's coming and getting him at night. Oh, yeah. 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 Ringtails are real hard on, uh, on, on poultry of any sorts. Uh, ringtails, owls, and the hawks. But, uh, yeah, you got to trap that ringtail and, uh, put out a, a trap, uh, live trap, bait it with, uh, Oh gosh, meat of some sort. Bait it with uh, chicken necks. Go, go get a package of chicken necks at the grocery store and, uh, bait it with that and you'll catch that ringtail and you can, uh, do away with it or at least at the very least take it 10 miles away where it'll stop being your problem. Yeah, I know they're beautiful. I've seen them one time in my oh, life yeah. and I had to actually call the zoo to actually find out what it was because yeah. nobody knew what it was. And I just described <laughs> the tail and they were like, oh yeah, that's a ringtail. It's like, I've been here all my life. I'm 48 years old. And I barely saw one maybe ten years ago. Yeah, and and they're beautiful things. And oh, I I, I became like three a, different animals. Yeah, and, and they've got those giant eyes and even bigger yeah. eye spots, and they can climb like nobody's business. I I first encountered them in West Texas, out in the Black Cap Wildlife Management Area, when I spent three summers working out there in my college years, and. Uh, uh, they like you say they are beautiful, but they are vicious little creatures, and uh, they're kind of like weasels and mink and things like that. They they eat other things. They'll eat just about anything they can catch in the way of a bird or a mouse or anything else. So uh, if pretty is as pretty does, that certainly doesn't apply to the ringtail. But they're they're cute. But you sure don't want them when you have chickens or just about anything else around but well, uh, I'm, you, you I'm should starting to find out that <laughs> yeah <laughs> well get yourself a good trap a live trap and uh like I say bait it with chicken necks or something like that and you should be able to uh move them to somewhere where they won't be a problem okay i appreciate it i appreciate all your uh help and uh and uh, with this and everything i'll try that well it's always a pleasure i appreciate the call all right, we are back to gardening. We're going to talk to Gilbert and Susan and Marcy and Lonnie. And uh, Gilbert's been waiting longest. Good morning, Gilbert. Good morning, Bob. I hope all is well with you and yours. It is uh, just about as good as it can be. I hope uh, same for you and your family and friends. Thank you. Bob, I have something eating my tomatoes. I guess it's those little caterpillars. And my favorite okay. question would be about my... Uh, tangerines my clementine tangerines got one full of blooms but i don't see any bees at all should i be concerned um you should let's do the caterpillars first because they're easy Uh, i would get some of the liquid bt bacillus thuringiensis the one thing they don't tell you on the bottle is uh, add a little bit of molasses to it. Uh, add maybe a tablespoon of molasses for every gallon of spray you're going to make. Spray those tomatoes. It is perfectly harmless to people and pets and uh, beneficial insects. It does, you know, pretty much kill all caterpillars. So don't spray anything except your tomatoes and anything else that you know, maybe peppers that are susceptible to it. But uh, BT with little molasses in it will put a total end to the caterpillars chewing on your. Uh, uh, chewing on on your tomatoes now as far as you know your your uh, clementines all citrus needs to be pollinated to produce uh, you know produce fruit but uh, those bees can be sneaky sometimes you've sometimes got more bees than you realize you have I would be watching at uh, I would be watching the base of the flowers and you ought to see a little 
oh, just the size of a big BB or the size of a green pea. You should actually see little fruit beginning to develop. If you want to be sure about that, um, go to an art shop or something like that. Get one of these little bitty uh, artist paintbrush, not the ones that are real fine, but the ones that are kind of fluffy. And just go start dusting around inside the flowers. Just take that thing and, you know, take three minutes and just go through and dust from flower to flower to flower to flower. Just, uh, you know, uh, really literally a second in each flower. Dust the pollen around and you, you'll be doing the job of the honeybees. And, uh, there's nothing special about the bee. I mean, it can be a mason bee. It can be a honeybee or it can be Gilbert with a little paintbrush in his hand. You'll get plenty of pollination and plenty of fruit. Okay, Bob. Well, thank you so much, and uh, I'll give somebody else an opportunity to speak with you. Well, I appreciate that, and you have a wonderful save weekend, Gilbert. Always good to hear from you. Susan is up next. Uh, Punch that button, and good morning, Susan. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I am am back with my house that we bought in the summer. Um, Took your advice and sprinkled the the fertilizer for the flowers from Medina. Uh Right. Yeah all around my loripetalum and my Texas sage. We have this kind of half-and-half half hedge uh-huh. in our backyard. So now the loripetalum have gone from a weird sort of yellow tan color to this wonderful purple-green, beautiful. Uh-huh. Right. But they've, I believe, been neglected. They're about 15 years old. I think haven't been properly trimmed the whole time. So now they're quite leggy because I... Mm-hmm. But is it too late to trim them? I did come to yeah. your trimming... Um, seminar so but is it too late now you will never hurt the plants by trimming but you may sacrifice some flowers have they been in bloom do they have their pink flowers on them uh i did not see any pink flowers well go look for buds because if they're going to bloom they should be putting on at least buds by now. I know our loripetalum here at the nursery are in full bloom. I think we determined that yours were that older variety called blush that is just not as good a loripetalum variety. But the only thing you lose by pruning too early is you're sacrificing some of the flowers. So if you look carefully, uh, if you see no buds, I would go ahead and prune them to your heart's content. If you see little flower buds forming, I would let them bloom and then prune them. When when they bloom, they don't start putting on the spring's growth until after they have finished the flowering. So um, look carefully for buds. If you see buds, let them bloom and then prune. If you don't see any buds, they may have decided that they just, uh, with all that yellowing and everything, they just weren't going to do much in flowers this year. So go ahead and prune them. I think they've bloomed because I see little, um, you know, like spent flowers. Okay. Then it's time to get the pruning shears after them. So then do I do the, because they're quite leggy. So do I prune down to, but just want, uh, just, okay, but not to be too exuberant because I don't want to kill the poor things. I mean, they're old. Well, yeah, and you've heard what I I said in the seminar is, uh, uh, it's not how much you cut them back. You just don't ever want to take more than about half the leaves off the plant. Right. So you can be okay. as exuberant as you like with those pruning shears as long as you're just not taking all the foliage off. And uh, it it's becomes a very selective thing. I mean, you're not just going through and lopping everything off. You're going through and selectively taking out the longest and leggiest branches, cutting them back to the point that you would like them to branch out and start growing. 
And uh, I would say this is a nice cool day for a little bit of good exercise. So um, I think you've got your uh, morning's work lined up for you. Okay, perfect. Just what I was looking for. Well, I appreciate the call and hope you have a wonderful day of it, Susan. It's always a pleasure to talk right. to you. Thank you. Yep, Thank you. You too, Bob. Thank mm-hmm. you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, back to gardening. Just about the right time between now and 8 o'clock to get in a visit with uh, Marcy and Lonnie. Uh, Marcy's up first. Good morning, Marcy. Good morning. It's good to hear your voice today. Well, thank you. It's very good to be here today. (laughs) I have, uh, while I was on hold, I realized this is probably a really silly question for the owner of the center. No such a thing. Um, (laughs) Well, I have um, some really good flowers going right now that I planted in in November. I have snapdragons, (laughs) dianthus. Uh-huh. Uh, Amazon in mid-size. I have ornamental cabbage. I've got Alyssum and Dusty Millers. And, okay. you know, they're, they're all doing great, but I'm starting to want to plant new things, you know, for the summer and get a, a good start on them. How do I figure out when to sacrifice these? So I, do I get- need to think about the warmer stuff so that it gets established or what, what do you recommend? Well, you know, it's it's time for some warm weather things, and it's not time for others. One of my favorite warm okay. weather flowers is periwinkles. Don't even okay. think about periwinkles for another six weeks because if you plant them, and I know they may be in the nurseries or in the in the wannabe nurseries, the box stores, which shouldn't be selling them. But if you plant periwinkles too early, they just get this disease called phytophthora wilt and die. So don't be jumping the gun to pull up your old stuff uh, to plant periwinkles yet because okay. it's too early. On the other okay. hand, if you think you're we're past the danger of uh, freezing weather, it's okay to plant uh, begonias now. It's okay to plant okay. impatience now. It's okay to plant... Uh, you know, uh, oh, everything from uh, the, uh, what am I trying to say, the coxcomb to marigolds. And at that point, it's just deciding when you're tired, especially of the cabbage and of the snapdragons, because those are the okay. two you mentioned. They're going to be first to go in the heat. Now, Dusty Miller should last you for two or three years if you want it to. Oh, okay. Many, many varieties of dianthus will last for two or three years. Alyssum okay. is probably not going to make it through the summer, but its best days are yet to come. I mean, Alyssum is absolutely beautiful in the late spring, so I wouldn't be in a rush to pull those things out. Uh, but the cabbage and snapdragons can go as soon as you're tired of them. And like okay. I say, don't be in a rush to plant periwinkles, but there are lots of other things you can plant. Are periwinkles the same as vinca? Uh, well, we call them the same thing. Technically, no, okay. they are totally different plants, but we don't have time to talk about all that right this second. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Hey, it's good to hear your voice, Marcy. Thank you for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Uh, let's finish up the hour with Lonnie. Good morning, Lonnie. Yes, good morning, Bob. Um, good morning. Good morning. Bob, I'm calling about my, uh, I think it's uh, Mitsu or Situ, uh, Satsuma Orange. Yeah, um, it is blooming. However, it's about the same time of the year as last year when <laughs> it had several blooms. Only one orange, however, survived. The rest okay. were blown off by the wind and so forth. Um, is there anything I could or should do right now? Well, you know, are you seeing bees? Do you think you're getting good pollination? 
yes, yes, they're fine in that department. Yes. Okay. Then, if you want to, you can take we call it row cover, floating row cover, and you could actually, yeah, you can wrap that around, and that's really going to cut down on the wind. And uh, it, it will, of course, in, in interfere with the bees, but chances are you've already got most of your pollination done. So uh, if you are in a super windy spot, yeah, I get some insulator, one of the floating row covers, and, uh, you know, just wrap around. You can probably pin it on with clothespins or something like that, mm-hmm. and that will sure yes. cut down on wind damage. And now the plant is only about three years old, and it's about maybe uh, three feet tall. You should I be concerned that much about fruit this at this point, or not? It's it's up to you. If the plant's ready to put on fruit, it will. If it's that small, you might even be able to put it in a big tomato cage, which would make it real easy to wrap the insulate around it. Yeah, it would too. That's true. Okay, Bob. That's fine. Thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Good, good, good question. I appreciate it, Lonnie. Thank you, sir. Sure. Bye. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. Well, very good, sir. Good morning. Well, good morning. Uh, I understand that you have so many cooties that they wouldn't even let you in the radio station today. I, uh, you know what? It's uh, you, you got it exactly right. I was trying to trying to keep it secret as to all the real reasons, but, uh, but no, I. Yeah, the Corona Cooties is right, but you know it's kind of fun. It's uh, I don't get to broadcast with two dogs and two cats uh, backing me up uh, when I'm over at the over at the station, so. And I tell you what, though, this is the first time I've uh, I've done a remote when I was a hundred percent on my own, no engineer here backing me up, and I was real relieved when when all the appropriate lights lit up, and when I when I heard the first caller's voice on the air, it uh, uh, it was just a great sigh of relief. So, uh, how are things up there? How are you doing? Oh, fine. Everything is um, interesting to say the least. Uh, the restaurants and what you have to do to find anything at the grocery stores the shelves uh get empty really fast it's just a whole different world weather drops like a rock it was really uh, cool yesterday it's going to be again today so we've got all kinds of uh, changes and things going on here it's just i don't know the the weather is interesting but this whole Corona situation is just, I think Roberta used the best word. She's, word. She said it's kind of surreal. Uh, it's kind of scary in a way when they can basically just shut everybody down. Fortunately, they haven't done that with, uh, you know, with nurseries yet. And I think, I don't know. I, I like to think that we're providing a real service to help people maintain their sanity. And it, it's really been fun with all the kids out of school. We've had, Oh, several people. I, I don't have an exact number, but we've had a number of uh, men and women both come in and say, "Hey, we've decided we're going to get our kids interested in gardening. What do we need to do to, you know, get some tomatoes started, get some pepper started? This is going to be one of our big activities while the kids is home is get them involved in gardening, and and that's such a good thing." Yeah, that's great. That's what my next column, Dallas Morning News, is about. Uh, I was going to talk to you about that this morning. What do you tell people that are brand new, the easiest things to plant? Of course, everybody's going to want to plant tomatoes and maybe peppers, (laughs) but uh, there's a lot of other things that can be planted that would be easier, really, to do. Yeah, you know, I tell them bush beans. Um, 
I I give them a caution about squash because vine borers can be such a problem. I went for years before vine borers became a problem, and then they became a big problem. But if they plant the little tatumis, calamacita, you know, the vine borers don't get off of those. So squash and beans and cucumbers are pretty high on my list. And uh, uh, along with, like you said, everybody wants to grow tomatoes, but I always tell them to plant cherry tomatoes with the kids because they produce so many. And uh, they they produce all summer long, where the big fruit would slow down a little bit. Tomato is even better ah. if you can find it. It's a little little tough to find sometimes, but it's really a good one for kids because oh yeah, it's so prolific and, and all yeah. Well, it's uh, it's going to be interesting uh, to get new, uh, some new people involved and start getting some feedback. I don't remember if it was one of your callers or one of mine that brought the tip to us about putting out human hair in the mm-hmm. vegetable garden to prevent uh, squash bugs and squash vine borers. Do you remember that? I, I yeah, now that you mentioned it, I had a caller recently asking about the fertilizer quality, and we actually had a company down here that was getting all the hay from uh, Lackland Air Force Base, and you can only imagine how much hair they collect with these two recruits coming in and getting buzz cut. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I'd forgotten about uh, that as a repellent for the squash vine borers. Have you had any experience with that? No, I've had some calls about it, and I couldn't remember if it originally came in uh, talking to you or not, but we've had a couple of people report that it looked like it uh, did some good. In fact, a huh. lot of good. I think it may have to do with the fact of uh, that there's a lot of uh, silica in the hair, and, you know, Diatomaceous uh-huh. Earth is going to have available silica and the azomite product, too, so... A lot of the things that we recommend in general. Of course, one of the things I'm going to put in this Dallas Morning News thing is how to how to prepare the beds properly and not of use course. moss, not use pine bark, and, and put the amendments and cornmeal in there. Cornmeal gives everybody you know a really good chance of avoiding some of the diseases that blindside people early on. You know, one of the easiest things to grow is radishes. Now, a lot of people. Don't like radishes that much, but it's not a bad thing to get them to plant first so they can see something right yeah. away, you know. You know, it's it's one of my stories I tell at my vegetable seminar. Every year I had a guy in there one time, and he said, man, do I grow radishes. I grow eight or nine different varieties. I must grow 500 radishes a year. And I said, you must really like radishes. And he said, no, I really can't stand them. And I said, well, why do you grow them? And he said, just because they're so easy and I can make so many of them. So, <laughs> But it, it, it really is true. And uh, But no, radishes are absolutely great. Of course, once it gets hot, um, it, it you know be a little tougher, but uh, another thing I would be sure to include in your column is uh, how easy it is with these fabric beds. I think the big bag bed was one you had a lot uh, to do with uh, the original development of. There are two or three of them out there, but but it is so easy uh, because they have them in you know some different sizes and configurations, and that way you don't have to build a raised bed. You don't have to do a whole lot. They're very lightweight and so easy to grow. We think that's a, a great thing to do as as far as helping people get their first garden going. I think they're fine, especially if you don't have any soil. But I think yeah. I, I really try to push how easy it is just to use your existing soil, whatever it is, and mix the compost yeah. and rock minerals and sugars right in there you don't need an edge really just slope the edges down and you're off and running so either one of those those two ways uh, to me works 
works well. We yeah, tell we just, people around here recommending peat moss and pine bark and concrete oh, sand, believe it or not, and and you know stuff like that. Expanded shales all also recommended. And I think that the mm-hmm. I think that the lava sand and the uh, things that we recommend work about ten times better. Oh yeah, azomite and uh, those things yeah. and. And it's just we've got to bust that myth that it takes several years to really get started. Right. You, you can have a fantastic garden the first year if you follow. And I just tell people, go to DirtDoctor.com, look at Howard's recommendations, and uh, it works. It, it, it'll it work anywhere. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we always talk about the fact that Dallas and San Antonio are similar. But if you've got listeners up in Wyoming, they can follow the things on DirtDoctor.com and do well oh, with them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a little bit different timing, but the techniques are still the same. That's about all the difference is is, is timing, and uh, you know it's just that that simple formula of of compost, organic fertilizers, uh, the rock minerals, and the sugars, and don't leave out the cornmeal. I think the cornmeal right. really helps to speed up the uh, process of having that great production in that very first uh, season. So. It, there's a there is a, a radish and I keep forgetting the name of it <clears throat> that I grew one year and it can take hot weather and it's got a, yeah. an unusual characteristic of uh, producing really tasty buds. You know the top of the plant right. is really uh-huh. what you're growing and I can't remember. Do you remember the name of that thing? Oh man, I I it has a I know really what... nice flavor and you just pick yeah. the uh, buds off the off the top of the plant rather than eating the, the bottom so much. And the other thing that people can really have fun with, and I might put it in this column, is uh, sugar beets. Sugar uh-huh. beets, you know, a lot of beets can be grown. Some of them, I've had a little bit of trouble getting them to germinate and get established uh, for some strange reason, but sugar beets are really, really easy to grow. And the greens are more tasty than any. Malcolm taught me this a long time ago. The greens are better than Swiss chard. Mustard greens, turnip greens, any of the greens. I, I like them all, but the uh, sugar beet greens are the best of all. You know, that's one crop I have never grown, and you're giving me, you're inspiring me to to plant some of them this year. Yeah, you ought to try it. It's it's really pretty pretty cool, and they are uh, easy to grow. <laughs> and that's what we want, especially for people getting started. I always tell people gardening is always going to be a mixture of successes and failures, but when you do it right, you're going to have a lot more successes, and uh, especially with getting kids started, that's so important. And the other well, thing that we... That radish, and if I can yeah. find it, I'll uh, email it to you, and you do the same, because I think that's a good one for us to... Uh, for us to recommend and of course okra is is uh, real easy for the first uh you know a first time gardener to grow and then get some big old plants in a hurry and, and that, <laughs> that'd be kind of fun yeah and uh, i was recommending somebody earlier to see if they can find the original eggplant and grow one or so of those because you know everybody looks at these big old purple things and say why would anybody call that eggplant and i always think back to the original eggplant that looked pretty much like chicken eggs hen eggs out there on the plant and that would always be a fun thing to grow i wonder if you can you probably can probably find baker creek might have uh, might have something along those lines i bet i bet you're exactly right oh are you yeah, seeing yeah, it's pretty easy too it's a little bit late to get them going but i don't know it might be worth telling people you know buy one <clears throat> one uh package of carrots to put them in an area and just to see if you can get some little carrots uh, developed yeah. before it gets too hot 
And you can use those little finger carrots or the half longs that seem to produce a lot faster. That's another real good suggestion. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I just was totally amazed at how easy Hikama is and uh, how successful. Yeah, really is, yeah. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, and potatoes. Potatoes are very easy. And uh, that's one of those things that's fun because the kids can sit there. And I remember, you know, Malcolm Beck was probably the first one that showed me about taking your finger and probing around the base of the plant and popping out those new potatoes, uh, you know, long before the, the bigger potatoes are ready at the base of the plant. That would be a lot of fun for kids, too. Yeah, I think that's good. And I, I don't think that sweet potatoes are all that tough to grow either. you got to oh, no. wait. You can't <clears throat> jump the gun and get them out before it's nice and warm and hot, and they need to get some get some good uh, slip somewhere I don't know how easy they are to find in the nursery do you do y'all sell sweet potatoes uh we don't but you know I just tell people to go to you know one of the organic nurseries or places around uh, our organic grocery stores and just you know stick your toothpicks like we all did in kids stick them in the side of the potato and suspend them in a jar of water and boy pretty soon you'll have all the slips you can just manage your own slips yeah and that's, that's another probably, place I that I, I love those bag beds because you know where the sweet potatoes are. That's always the problem. If you plant them in the garden, they may come up twenty feet away from the plant, maybe where your potato is. So um, I, I grow mine in the, bag, in the fabric beds, and it works real well. One year, I did what I had read about in some book or publication somewhere of doing tomato uh, uh, potatoes in a compost pile that I did. Mm-hmm. I built it pretty much like you would build a uh, cage or, uh, for a tomato with the uh, reinforced concrete reinforcement mesh, you yeah. know, uh-huh. and then filled it with compost a little bit at a time, putting sweet potato seed in there at different levels up through, you know, three or four feet uh-huh. high. And I had read uh, people getting really good production from that. I saw kind of so-so production. I guess it's uh, the benefit is that you're doing it in a much smaller area, but uh-huh. I don't know if it's the best way to go. Well, I it you know it's, it's just fun to experiment. But like you say, you want kids to be successful the first time and and really get off to a good start. So, yeah, I, I, that'll be a great column. I, I think that'll help a lot of people. Uh, are you seeing nurseries? Are you seeing uh, people doing anything differently up there? Uh, one thing we're doing, and actually uh, it was suggested to us by customers, but we're having people, if they're concerned about getting out and mingling with anyone, we tell them, just, you know, call your order in, give us credit card number, we'll write it up, you pull up into a designated parking place, and our guys will go out and load it in your trunk, and you never even have to get out of the car if you're that concerned about social distancing. And, and that's been a real popular idea. Uh, that's happening a lot around here. The country club, you know, where I play, where I've been a member since I was a kid, been there forever. <laughs> it's completely closed, and all the other clubs in town are too. You can't even yep. go in the building. And but you can go out and play, but you have to walk. You can't take one of the carts or even a full <laughs> cart, and they don't want you to have more than uh, you know four or five people together, and you're supposed to have the social distancing. Which when you come in, not touch the pen, put out with the pen. And I mean, it's it, it's it, like uh, Roberta said, it's kind of weird. I mean, the yeah. whole feeling, and uh, and it's 
I guess one of the reasons it's so strange is that most people are are catching on to it. Our radio station is not closed like uh, oh. y'all's. I've got to <laughs> go in and do the show apparently uh, tomorrow. But well, I, the, I didn't know till yesterday that I wasn't going to, and I got a crash course uh, because they not only told me I had to do it from here, but I wouldn't have an engineer to help me. So believe me, I was real glad when when all the appropriate things came together when I plugged it in and turned it on because it's. Uh, you know, we've both done remotes all over the place, but uh, to do it solo is um, it, it's a little nerve wracking at first. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad we're. But yeah, the the restaurants are doing takeout. Some are letting you come in and sit out on the patio, but not go in the built in the uh, main building. So everybody's doing it a little bit differently. I still <laughs> am trying to advise people to stop using the hand sanitizer that everybody's recommending. I don't think that. Yep. Uh, does any good at all. What works a whole lot better is uh, just washing your hands with warm water and a whole lot of soap. And if you want to spray something that's a good sanitizer, you can't beat the hydrogen peroxide. It's just so much better than bleach or any of these other things. Or even alcohol. And I'm surprised yeah. that we hear so little about hydrogen peroxide because it's still my favorite sanitizer. And, of course, we use it for a lot of other things. But uh uh, all to keep talking about is alcohol, and, and I just don't think that's right. Well, that's what's wrong with those hand sanitizer products. They're, you know, 70% or so uh, alcohol, and it just dries your skin, cracks it open, and actually makes a place where bacteria and fungus and viruses can hang out. It's <laughs> it's really fascinating that that has caught on. That, that company, yeah. that main company you hear about all the time is making a bajillion dollars, I'm sure, but there's a oh, much, man. much better way to go. And it kills all the beneficial bacteria, and people just don't realize how important our skin bacteria are, and uh, probably for every bad bacteria, you've got five million good guys out there. Yeah, rather than even using hydrogen peroxide, probably the best way to do it is just to wash your hands frequently, which everybody says, with warm water and, and soap, and just a you know a, a gentle soap, not a bacterial killing soap or anything <laughs> like that. That'd be bad too. And, yep. and then put on some kind of aloe vera or some kind of good quality, uh, you know, natural hand cream, and keep moist. And then drink tons of water. I think that's uh-huh. probably one of the most important things you do stay hydrated i do and sometimes my tummy says hey that's enough water but i i have found a uh, uh a little electrolyte uh formulation at natural grocers i think it's called uh oh golly now i can't say the name of it but uh it's it doesn't have any sugar in it but it has some good electrolytes and plus it just makes it tastes so much better and yeah i think the hydration is one of the is one of the real secrets to it but uh it's called revive or something like that i'll, I'll have to look up that name but i i, I am probably drinking twice as much water as i usually do and i probably don't usually drink enough so that's been a good thing that i've really made myself do well, I think there's going to be some good come out of all this, people uh, having better sanitation and some better habits in general. I think shaking hands and hugging and all that kind of thing is probably not that good an uh, idea in general as far as uh, disease spreading kind of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how much long-term impact that has. It It is. And, you know, I, Roberta and I were talking, and I was actually talking to our fire chief up in Bernie last night, too, about how 
how the cream rises to the top, how some people, some businesses sit around and say, poor me, and how some of them have become so creative. This restaurant that I can't wait to take you to when all this blows over, that's uh, the mostly organic restaurant up in Bernie, he is offering a five-course gourmet meal, um, yeah, five course gourmet meal that serves five for I think a hundred and four dollars or something like that. And the one thing uh, I'm sure you've heard Governor Abbott did is he uh, lifted the restriction on selling and delivering alcohol, so uh, Keith yeah. can send a nice bottle of wine along with his five course meal. And uh, it's just people are doing interesting things. One of the other places uh, I like to eat because they have so many uh, good veggies. It's uh, where you still get the old blue plate special. But he's really started making lots and lots of casseroles. And I've had his casseroles before, but uh, he's making them available and offering delivery everywhere. And anybody that doesn't want to leave home, I mean, I'm going to pick up two of them on my way home, divide them into serving sizes, and, hey, I've got dinner for the next two weeks right there. And it's just fun watching the people that are coming up with good things to do to uh, mitigate the inconvenience of what we're going through. And uh, I, you know, I'm still, I I sometimes wonder if our response is appropriate, but I just, uh, I don't know. It's it's very interesting times, but uh, like Roberta said, it just seems, seems kind of surreal. And I think it would settle down, but the news media just keeps going over and over. And every time you think, well, let's just, you know, give it some time. Let's keep these restrictions in place. But then you hear some new scare story out there, and everybody runs out to the grocery store to hoard toilet paper, <laughs> which I really don't totally understand. But uh, it's yeah, it's interesting times. Or just take advantage of this downtime and get some reading done that you haven't done, relaxing, and exercise. You know, get some yeah. walking in and get some exercise and all that, maybe do a project that you've been putting off and take advantage of the downtime to do something new. I think supporting the restaurants that are closed is a great thing, either take out or even consider uh, gift certificates that you can, you know, cash in on later on and help support the uh, employees there. One of the little restaurants we buy from, we got takeout yesterday from them, they've got their main employees doing the delivery, you know, just to Isn't keep, that fun? keep people on the payroll. So there's, there's some creative things going on, and it's it's all good. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, uh, oh, golly, there's so much to talk about. Uh, remind me next week, I want to share a few things with you. You know, we had Diane Baines come and talk to us about uh, latest yeah. in GMOs uh, last week. And we, we've shut down our seminars for, for the season now, but uh, uh, she had some real interesting new things. And I don't know if you know, but there's a, a new certification that's out now, which is glyphosate residue-free. And uh, oh, yeah. I've actually I've, I've seen it on the cop, top of a couple of uh, of a, a couple of different bottles, and boy, that that will be to me that'll be one of the best certifications of all because uh, you know of the of the residue showing up in our beers and so many other places. But to actually has this, have a certification that says there's no residue you know present in this product. Uh, Is that I think national? That's, Is that yes. a federal thing? I don't know if it's federal or not, uh, because I know like the GMO project is not federal, but it's definitely national. And, uh, I'm, I believe it is, it is national, but I don't know who's, who's sponsoring it. Okay. Good. Well, thanks for that tip. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. You guys hang in there and, uh, we will, uh, muddle through this, uh, messy time and, uh, everything will be wonderful on the other side.
We'll look forward to that uh, next newspaper article. And as always, we look forward to all the good things you post up there on DirtDoctor.com. And uh, you and all of the family and the four-legged friends, uh, have a good week. And I sure look look forward to your next visit, Howard. Thanks so much. Same to everybody there. See you next week. Thanks, Bob. All right. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, we are back to gardening. We're going to talk to Shannon. I guess Greg's probably going to text me a couple of more callers on, or Don's going to try to text me a couple of more callers. But um, anyway, always a good visit with Howard Garrett. And okay, Shannon dropped off. So um, where are we going to start uh, this morning? Let's see here. Okay, we're going to have Gilbert, Ron, Jane, and Mike. And uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at an old text there. That's okay. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll just tell you a couple of things while uh, he's getting uh, that information to me. And uh, that is, we are here at Shades of Green and uh, plan to be here all day. We do ask people, you know, when you come in, do maintain that social distancing. And quite honestly, if you've been, if you've traveled in from somewhere a long distance away, probably better quarantine for a little while before you get out. It's It's been so surprising to me that of all the cases which not a huge number but the cases we have here in uh in bear county uh only a handful have been from social contact it's virtually all been people that traveled from some distance from overseas especially and people close to them that's where virtually all of these uh covid19 cases are showing up so uh do your part and maybe self-quarantine if you come in, especially from overseas. And, of course, if you're ill, we don't want to see you. But if you're looking for a beautiful place to come wander around and maybe want to get your kids more involved in gardening or maybe just realize this is going to be a great time to get some things going in your own garden. Anyway, we're we're here, plan to be here, and look forward to serving you. We have canceled today's seminar. As a matter of fact, after the latest request came out from the governor, we uh, we went ahead and canceled our entire lineup of spring seminars just to uh just to be on the safe side we will have more seminars but you know we're gonna we're gonna do it when it's safe and uh and you'll well certainly be the first to tell you okay looks like uh first couple of callers are gonna be sue and chris so uh let's say good morning sue hi uh i couldn't help but wonder it's you can get certified lots of stone uh, uh roundup three um uh, products but what about the other herbicides well you know roundup is certainly the one that has uh, gotten the most attention and it is probably the worst for the amount of residue that is on our foods but you are so right we want to avoid all of the different pesticide contamination and the best way to do that is uh is you know to look probably for the USDA organic sticker because those have to have at least been grown without pesticides. But see, here's the problem that, um, and the reason why I think the glyphosate free is going to be great on top of that, and that you can grow things organically, but if you happen to have some spray drift, which uh, is a very common thing these days, you could wind up with some things we don't, some glyphosate is, is the worst one because it's the one they still spray out of airplanes and everything else. And, uh, it's the one that they have found glyphosate residues in organic foods. Now, I'm not aware of any other pesticide residues, uh, that are common in, in our organic stuff, but, uh, uh, the best of all worlds is going to be, you know, something that contains all three certifications and that is to be, uh, uh, organic. 
to be non-GMO and to be glyphosate residue free, that's going to be sort of the the real winner that I think we'll see sometime in the future. But you're know, you're so right to uh, you know to bring it up uh, that we do want to see it free from uh, uh, you know from a lot of things besides just the glyphosate. So, so I really do appreciate you bringing that up. Not another another point. Um, is it only Roundup that they use to dry the grains and the beans and the peas? So well, they, they they call it ripening agent, and yes, basically they're just killing it. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, the glyphosate, the Roundup, is the only thing that they're using as a, quote, ripening agent. I bet that's why there's so much residue. Um, I got another, what, tangerines, uh, satsumas. Uh-huh. We planted seeds about a month ago and haven't seen hide and hair of them since. Do you have them on a propagating mat? No, we just planted them in the ground. Yeah, soil's too cold. Uh, they're probably oh, just sitting okay. there. They probably will come up. But remember that uh, that that uh, citrus is a tropical plant, and those seeds are not going to sprout until we have warm soil. And especially with it, you know, in the 40s out there this morning, the soil's going to stay a little cool for a little longer. So you're going to have to be patient. I don't think there's anything wrong with your seeds or anything wrong with the way you did it. But uh, the soil's just not warm enough for them to sprout yet. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm still working on that, um, studying all the different YouTubes on um, holistic um, uh, uh, controlled grazing where they uh, massively run the cattle and then move them on mixed made uh, mixed cover crops. Right. And there's guys that are doing this all the time on their massive farms, you know, 2,000, 3,000 acres. They're oh, yeah. doing this, and they're not following anything they're running these uh cover crops grazing them off and planting right away and yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a rotational grazing fertilizer and they save yeah. their water <laughs> you you're you're just outlining a few of the many things and uh i'm like you i'm sure glad to see it and i sure appreciate the call this morning uh don let's uh see what chris is up to and then we'll talk to dolores good morning chris hi chris Hello. Hey, Hello. there you are. Good morning. There we go. Yeah. There, I was waiting for the ding ding. Good morning, everyone. I want to thank Don Cooper, Tommy, and all that in the tech crew, Don, and all that <laughs> over there who gets everything working out for just you and everybody else. Oh, it's, it's, it's they're wonderful time. folks. It's a fun time for all of us. Uh, Very good. How can anyway. I help this morning? How can you help? I'm beyond help. I'm a guy. You know that. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, hey, uh, one of the things I've had my neighbors now come up and go, hey, can you show me how to get a garden started a lot? And so that's what we're doing with the oak pollen stuff and the oak leaves. Well, we got to get compost or you got to get other stuff. So that's the thing for us to be able to do is show them how to do some organic gardening. Well, and that's, hey, that's hey, what... That's where we're coming. I've got so much wind noise, Chris. I can barely, barely hear you. Sorry, so I'm let's sorry. let's okay. let's let's I'll hold go. it there, and we'll 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 talk again. Um, Bye. Don, thank me, you. Thank you. Visit feelingeasy.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk five fifty KTSa and FM one zero seven one. Rig it up and give it a cast Hoping I can catch me a big old bass 
Flip her in the boat and give her a kiss. Well, I can't get a girl. Oh, Don, I don't know how you do it. You come up with something. Uh, we, we occasionally go back to uh, one of our, our popular oldies, but uh, that's the first time on that one. And that's, that's a very good fishing show for a, a good Saturday morning. Well, back to gardening. Again, first of all, I just want to say big thank you to Don Cooper Stevens back in the studio. Uh, I'll also say uh, thank you to uh, Greg Shelton for giving me a quick course on using this tie line, which I've, I've been working with today. And, uh, uh, Greg, you made it easy. And everybody back at the station, you know, I, I've got the easiest part of the job because I just get to sit here and answer questions and talk to you guys. But uh, just know that I've got a, a good staff of support and uh, sure appreciate every one of you. We'll finish up the show today probably with Dolores and Elaine. And uh, let's start with Dolores. Good morning, Dolores. Good morning, Bob. Long time no here. Well, it's good to I talk got, to you. I have, a, I have a good quick question and give Elaine some time, I hope. Uh, my son has uh, some property. It's about a, a, a quarter of an acre or less. And we want to plant some feed grass for horses. Okay. What would you suggest? And what would and it's mostly badger dirt. What would we do to enhance the dirt? Um, you know, just a good organic fertilizer is going to be the best thing to, uh, you know, to really improve that soil. Horses are hard on land. I have to remember a friend of mine up in the Bernie area who had a little bit more land. He had like a about an acre, I think, and he actually divided it into four paddocks. Um, even though they're gonna be small, if you could if you could even divide that land in half to where you let your horses graze on one side, let the other side recover, then move them over to that second side and then move them back. As far as the best grass um Oh golly, it's 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 hard to say. One of your native grasses, anything, anything but buffalo grass. <laughs> yeah, I probably yeah they don't really like that. Yeah, I've known some people that like Klein grass, um, but when it comes to Klein K L I, I don't know if it's E I N or I N E. I tell you, I would call um, a real good guy here in town named Dean Williams owns Douglas King Seed Company, and Dean knows more about different grasses than any man I have ever known. And uh, Monday through Friday, you can call him over at the Douglas King, K-I-N-G, Douglas King Seed Company. And I'd holler at uh, Dean and, and tell him what your situation is. It's going to be tough because that's just, quarter acres, just not a lot of ground, uh, uh, to be running one horse, let alone more than one, but he will know what the best grass you could plant would be, and uh, I, I'm going to have to defer to him on the answer to that. I will tell you that if you're able to divide that quarter acre in half to where you can move the horses back and forth, uh, you're going to have a whole lot of luck with whatever you plant. And uh, any of your good organic fertilizers, probably the least expensive is going to be this Viatrack you hear advertised. Uh, but if you want to go with an even little bit more complete product, uh, Medina will sell their product in, uh, you know, 
one-ton hampers and things to keep the cost down. But quarter and acres, not, not that much to feed. I would be fertilizing probably four times a year to get the very maximum out of it. Okay, thank you so much. Have a great day, and you're doing a wonderful job out there. Dolores, I so appreciate it, and I so appreciate your call this morning. You stay safe, and I'll look forward to visiting again. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, well, let's finish up calls today with Elaine. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. All things considered, I'm I'm relieved that all my equipment has worked properly for the three and a half hours. So uh, uh, life is good. How's everything with you? Awesome. We had 1.8 inches of rain, and that was fantastic. So oh, lucky ready. you! Lucky you! Yeah. I am questioning. I have two questions. What do you know about a product called Weed Crush? Is it safe for the garden? Yes, it is safe for the garden. You can only use it, uh, you know, on things that you want to get rid of. It is non-selective, to the best of my knowledge. But uh, it's a product that is very popular up in the Dallas area. I have not seen it available in San Antonio, but I know Howard Garrett talks about it and uh, is very pleased with the results people up there are getting. And uh, Dallas is, for all intents and purposes, uh, pretty much like San Antonio. So if you find it, I'd feel good about using it. Okay, fantastic. I thought I would give it a try, but I wanted your input on it first. Certainly. And what can you tell me about growing it's a flowering plant called Melopodium. What do you need mm-hmm. to know to make that a successful growing project? Well, Melopodium is actually a genus that includes a lot of different plants, uh, some of which are annuals, some of which are perennials. Um, and so it's, it's hard to generalize, but it, as far as I can generalize, I will tell you that the Melopodiums like a good sunny spot. They like soil that drains well. Many of them, like Blackfoot Daisy, is one of the most common wildflowers around here, which is a melampodium. And um, they're drought tolerant. They don't mind the heat. Uh, there are some other melampodiums that are not quite that hardy. They take a little bit more care. But uh, in general, they're members of what we call the composite family. They they look like, um, oh, like a daisy, shall we say, Um but uh, melampodiums just uh, uh, just you know choose. Be sure you understand which particular kind you're getting. But across the board, I'm going to tell you they're good, hardy summertime flowering plants. Some will be annuals, some will be perennials, and every one I've ever seen is uh, pretty. Okay, because I ran across some called jackpot gold, and I'd never seen that before. And I thought, well, I'm going to try this, but I, yeah. what do I need to know about it? And that was my uh, question. Yeah, also, full sun and soil that drains well. Okay, and what about how to be successful growing bottle brush plants, the bottle brush? <laughs> Another great question. Bottle brush is marginally cold hardy in San Antonio. I don't really recommend it much north of San Antonio because if we get temperatures down below about 25, it does suffer a good deal of damage. Uh, there are many sizes of bottle brush. You can find bottle brush that will grow 10 feet tall. One of the popular new big varieties is called Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, Hannah Ray. And um, pretty much all the bottle brushes are spring blooming. There is a dwarf variety called Little John, 
which has more of a gray-green foliage, and it seems to bloom a little bit longer into the growing season, but uh, uh, the limiting factor on bottle brush is really pretty much that it's not as cold-hardy as some other things. The Little John seems to be actually more cold-hardy than the bigger ones. They all love full sun. They all love soil that drains well. Just be sure you're getting an appropriate size for what your needs are because, uh, like I say, they do they do vary from quite small to quite large. And they tolerate the Texas heat well? Totally. Okay, because I've never had success with them. I'm going, okay, what do I need to know about these plants? I'm going to call Bob Webster and find out. Well, that's, that's my experience, and I've grown a lot of them. Okay, I'm just thinking, when you mentioned full sun, I thought, oh, okay, maybe that was a problem. I didn't have it in the full sun category. Well, so and I've, yeah, no, they need full sun. The bottle brush will tolerate a little bit of shade, but um, uh, the more sun, the more flowers, and that's what it's all about with bottle brush. Okay, well, those were my questions, so I really do thank you, and you have a great day. You do the same, Elaine. Thank you. Everybody else, thank you for joining